Alright, what a week. Welcome back, guys, for another episode of Productive Lazy Sundays. Um, this week, we will continue with the sort of news recap format, although I, w- I, would, I would say that I think next week or something, we could come back to a deep dive because there is a very interesting topic um, that we would like to cover. But for this week, we'll remain with three news that we found uh, very interesting and therefore worthy of presenting onto the podcast. And without further ado, you know, jumping into the first one with a big name that I feel like keeps coming up as well, uh, TikTok, right? And TikTok is beginning to test their in-app shopping in the West because the in-app shopping feature already exists uh, and their Chinese version of the application. But this move is also like seen or described as a challenge towards Facebook. So do you want to sort of to summarize um, the news itself and the sort of context around it. Well, of course, I mean, um, TikTok is working with brands including streetwear, uh, streetwear label like Hype to actually test out in that sales in Europe. So you know, it, in in this case, you you do see that. Um, I think more recently, in the past six months to a year, you see that Facebook is a lot more active in its in-app sales as well. It's starting to have more streaming sales, having more. Uh, in-app platforms for shopping and mm-hmm. TikTok is coming in as a challenger. Uh, in some sense, yes. I would say if you look at it from a from a Chinese perspective, in, in the China market, TikTok is probably way more advanced than Facebook. Right? It has yeah. achieved a certain level of success that Facebook probably is still working towards. But in the international market, this is a new territory that, that TikTok is, is moving towards. Yeah, and I think on that point, it's also interesting because while TikTok is much more advanced in, in, in the sort of in-app purchase sort of experience that you will have, but, you know, like, when Facebook sort of first introduced uh, the whole you know, marketplace or whatever, that, that was also a move because, you know, they sort of learned from WeChat, right? And WeChat was already very much, you know, they had integrated JD within WeChat and there was all this talk about, like, the in-app purchasing within the app, the, the notion of super app that we keep mentioning, Right. And I think that was a sort of trigger that really made Facebook realize that, you know, if they wanted to grow and if they wanted to become bigger and more important or more intrusive, quote unquote, uh, they're going to move into their, this direction as well. And now it's interesting because, yeah, obviously Facebook is now more established in the West for sure when it comes to the super app sort of um, mentality. But now TikTok is also applying what they've learned and what they know how to do because the in-app purchasing, you know, feature and all of this experience, you know, they've been gathering it for a long time and the whole industry in China as well is like really mature on, on that point. So I feel like it's going to be interesting because obviously it'll be interesting to first understand whether or not TikTok is able to reproduce the sort of model and the successful model that they have in China, right? Um, because that's not a guarantee, and we've talked about it last time as well. There's so many different factors when it comes to these different, um, this different sort of market that they need to take into account. And they're actually, um, I think, in the first year of operations where um, they did it in China. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but they they racked up like a pretty good score of like 26 billion of e-commerce. Yeah, um, I think that that's that's in the year of of COVID, right? So. Uh, mm-hmm. with, a bit, with a bit push from COVID, it really helped with their their in-app sales. Um, yeah, and it's starting to become a very significant portion of their of their revenue going forward. 
but the challenge here now is that you know unlike uh, unlike in China, TikTok TikTok yeah. has is very well known in China. Maybe less well known in 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 Europe and US. Uh, actually, no, not, I, not I'm not wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's very well yeah. known in Europe and US. Um, but less familiar with the idea of in-app shopping, I would say, right? Because in China, yeah. it's a very common thing to be to be shopping in an app. You know, you have all the streaming platforms, but you can. We we talked about it before. You can buy all kinds mm. of things on it, but there isn't so much of that. This culture seen in in the in the international market is still growing, um. But there is a lot more market penetration to to happen. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, once again, you know, we keep mentioning this, but it is also like you you need this period where you're also educating the public, right? You are in China. It seems so natural now. Um, to be watching a video, to have something, and then, you know, and it's sort of very intuitive as well because you're watching something and you're like, oh my god, I want you know the dress, or I want this shirt that he's wearing, or I want the skateboard that he's riding, and then you have a link there uh, in TikTok China. Do you, do and you, I think that's you, super. No, no, go. Sorry. Uh, no, and and that's super convenient. And I think the question you're going about to ask is like, have I ever done it? No, no, no. I, I was more you're... like going to say that. Do you, do you think they're in a position yeah. to lead this? change in behavior i don't think tiktok will be i mean i i I definitely think that tiktok is going to be in the position to lead this behavior i think but that being said i think facebook is already have already like sort of educated the the public you know i think the success of marketplace the success of like um the way instagram is integrated with a lot of like in-app purchase as well i think tiktok is also going to be in a good position because the population and the demography that tiktok has as a sort of customer base right is a much younger crowd and therefore maybe more inclined to these new technologies and especially during this COVID time you know especially when there's so many trends and because we talked about the label hype right which is usually more associated to a younger crowd I think it's going to you know, TikTok is definitely going to be able to leverage on this crowd that made, made for example, StockX um, super successful, for example, right? And StockX is an, like an online marketplace of shoes. And when you think about, especially for all of all the items that you'd be shopping for, shoes might be one of the things that you might want to try on because you never know if it fits or, uh, mm-hmm. or not. But StockX was super successful because it was on this sort of hype, uh, on this sort of, you know, like the uh, the sneaker collection and everything. And therefore, TikTok has the same, like maybe not the exact same demography as the customer base, but, you know, very much similar in terms of age range. And I think it's definitely going to, you know, this factor is going to allow them to enable uh, these features and, you know, really push for it. Maybe even more than Facebook, because Facebook's sort of population and demography is like a bit, you know, wider. They have like every age um, category whereby TikTok I feel like especially in the West is more like oriented towards young people but I, I, I don't know I don't know whether that's still the truth right now because I think TikTok got the biggest publicity last year right you know we had Donald Trump advertising for TikTok uh, reason why I'm saying advertising is because you know with all the um, you know uh, Donald Trump's ban on TikTok in the end what yeah. really happened nothing significant happened came out of it to be honest yeah Yet. It, but yet, yet, right? Let's yeah. put it this way. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but it brought out more advertising and more attention to this app that, you know, honestly, if you ask a 20, 30, 40, uh, sorry, maybe a 30, somewhere in the 40s in, in US, they probably didn't know what TikTok was until Donald Trump talked about it. 
I think yeah. it has done more publicity than damage. I mean, right. yeah, from yeah, from from, sure. from, yeah, from, yeah, from a plain sight of that, right? Yeah, especially and in the US and exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so given given that reach is much more, it's much wider now. I think what is amazing about TikTok, you need to recognize about it, is that its algorithm is amazing. It knows how to read users' behavior very well. It knows it knows yeah, how to understand crazy. users very well, right? And I think if there's any company around the world who know who can take the f- First step in changing you customer behavior, TikTok will be will be one of them, right? And and just just an example, it's not yeah. it's not the only Chinese company that has changed use, user behavior, right? If you think about other examples like Pinkdoto or or whichever or you know, these these are companies that have changed how people shop, how people you know how people buy things on e-commerce, right? You know, Pinkdoto gamified the whole shopping experience, and I think that's an approach that maybe. TikTok would actually, you know, go towards as well. I, I don't know. But I think there is this possibility whereby instead of just being a passive player of or being a passive platform of saying, okay, we have this additional function that allows you to purchase, you know, items on our website or sorry, on our app. Instead of doing that, we may push it out in a more active manner to our users. And mm. I think that's that's the position whereby TikTok can achieve. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, we talked we talked about educating the the sort of customer base or whatever, but I feel like that's already been done by Facebook, right? Like Instagram shopping and in-app shopping and everything has been around for quite a while now. So I think TikTok is really just here to um to have everything handed on a silver platter and they just need to I mean, they're already tied up with Walmart, right? They're doing partnership with Walmart. They're also doing a partnership with Shopify. Uh, they are clearly pushing for it. We talked about the the um, the sort of um, partnership that they had with the hype label. I think I don't think they're going to have any sort of um, trouble with breaking into it. I think it's just now the really interesting part to watch will be the implementation and how they you know will, will they be very successful. And so far we we've said it earlier, right? And just during this first year, they racked up like twenty six billion US dollars just of the e-commerce sort of transaction on their platform. And, and that, no, now, that, that's in China, right? But if you think about the whole market of, of mobile yeah. e-commerce um, globally or, or in, on the US versus China, you need to recognize that, yeah. that China is probably like four, four times bigger than the US in terms of in-app shopping or mobile yeah. e-commerce in, in general. So there is tremendous... You, you, you said that, you know, Facebook has done the work of, of educating the general public, but honestly, I don't think they have reached that level. There, there is still... Compared to lot, China, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing is that, you know, it might not reach, you know, the same level as China. And, and even in China, it's still, it's still massively growing, right? So there is still a long way for, for US to go in terms of mobile e-commerce shopping. Right, mm-hmm. the population still needs to get used of it, get used to it, and what with the position I'm coming from is that TikTok will probably be the app, or maybe be in a good position to change the behavior and turn it into a more active relationship than just being a passive one, like how Instagram and and Facebook is, because yeah. if you're able to engage users in the whole, whole shopping experience then, yeah. you know, that's how you actually change that whole attitude to it. 
right? And and no, that will true. probably propel that will probably propel the industry maybe like three times or five times in the next next couple of years. <laughs> You're very optimistic, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, I'm looking it's, at it's, <laughs> I'm looking at projections, and I'm telling you, they are projecting it to increase by three times in the next five years. <laughs> Yeah, projection will be projection until they're actually realized, right? So, no, but no, but I agree. I mean, um, and at the same time, it's not too far fetched because it's an it's an early market, right? Um, and especially with COVID and the, the push of COVID, we've seen that online sales has spiked, and it, it just I, I I just yeah the reason why I was you know really optimistic and you you know you pointed out the difference with China and everything, but I'm still really optimistic because it just feels like they don't really have a lot of roadblockers right yeah no no of course i i think they will be able to gain a very comfortable position but they will mm. take they will be able what i'm saying is that they can take on a leading role and drive yeah. this much further right if you know u.s market is like 200 220 million in terms of in terms of their e-commerce sorry mobile e-commerce sales yeah. and you know china is at eight, 900 million uh, easily yeah. or more so yeah. there, there is tremendous amount of growth that that can happen there, and 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 a, a market that's only two hundred twenty million is tiny. This is this is a tiny small base, right? For yeah. for a huge market like US and China, I mean, I'll be surprised if this doesn't go to a, like a 50, 50, 10 billion in, in the next ten years. Yeah. And let's not forget inflation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, just... With inflation at fifty percent these days, it's gonna be a hundred mil, hundred billion. I know, right? <laughs> or I feel like inflation has been, inflation has been like the biggest topic for the past month. It's just crazy. Um, but you know, when you print that much money, um, it feels almost inevitable. But who are we to to judge? Um, <laughs> jumping off to the second topic. You know, coming back to the good old EVs, uh, China's BYD, so uh, it's um, it's a Chinese, so it's not a, just an EV manufacturer, they're an automobile sort of a manufacturer and they do a lot of cars, but they are sort of known as well to be a leader in the EV plan and the EV sort of um, market segment because they do offer a sort of wide ca- category of like electric vehicles, but also hybrid vehicles. Uh, they're about to spin off and list their semiconductor unit. And so, and by this is that BRD is like, um, you know, they are sort of a very vertically integrated company where they do manufacture the, the cars, but they also have, you know, like a, a semiconductor foundry sort of, um, you know, they, they have a semiconductor unit. They also have a battery production unit. Uh, they're, they're, they're sort of like, they're very present in all of the different segments. So very vertic- vertically integra- uh, integrated. And they are going to spin off the semiconductor unit these days, you know, whereby semiconductor is the buzzwords. What is up with that? I think you know, it's really a time whereby this is such an attractive market for them to do this, do this sort of spin off to realize the yeah. market value in in this in this in this business. Because just just for example, I think earlier this year, um, mm-hmm. Star Semiconductor spun off. It went pub. It's not spun. Sorry, it went public, and it. Mm-hmm. sought by 870% in the first month right yeah. so so yeah. for for BYD this is Free this is a very money. yeah exactly right so this is a massive yeah. value creation activity for them and and yeah. the advantage if you think about BYD semiconductor versus let's say Star Semiconductor is that 
you know, Star Semiconductor is sort of more focused on just design and outsourcing of manufacturing. But BYD, yeah. as you said, is a is an integrated design and manufacture company. It does the whole whole value chain there. So it's so it, what have we learned from the TSMC? The star is a fabulous. <laughs> if you haven't if you haven't listened to our our presentation of the semiconductor, we've made an episode on TSMC, which sort of um, recap all the different roles. Sorry, just wanted to just wanted advertise to more. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it, it becomes a very valuable chain. Um, do we know how successful this will be? Yeah, I would say it's BYD is quite successful in, in the semiconductor space. Um, definitely not the most successful. It's it's second behind uh, Infineon in China. It's about twenty yeah. percent market share, but most of it actually is our semiconductor chips that's being supplied to its own electric vehicles, right? So we're, yeah, and we're definitely not talking about you know five nanometers here we're talking about like much you know maybe in the range of like 30 plus um, yeah which are like what they're used for cars which is you know more than enough for what their usage of you know semiconductor is but also yeah as you said you know you mentioned start semiconductor but if you take it back a bit there is also like just a huge still like chip shortage in the world right we, we talked about it in the episode on tsmc that there was a chip shortage but the chip shortage is still going on and you see so many different you know from car manufacturer t- saying that you know a lot of the supply chain are going to be delayed but you've had a nintendo coming out and sony coming out saying the ps5 and the nintendo switch they can be you know the, the supply would just never meet demand because there's still a chip shortage and yeah as you said like all of those conditions just makes it very attractive for BYD to list and be sort of like and a great spot to uh, well and, and, cash, and, and one more right? thing i i i i would have to highlight here is that China yeah. is work. The China gov- the Chinese government is working very hard to actually build the semiconductor industry in China because they know that they, it's an industry that cannot rely on external parties. All right, they have faced I issue. Think every country, yeah, yeah not not every, every country, like the US as well, <laughs> no, but the US as well, yes, no, but the US as well, yeah, uh, the major countries, the, the, yes. Mm-hmm. So so right now the US <laughs> has the technology to do it right, but you know yeah. China doesn't have the technology yet to be fully independent. To be well, so fully the US has the technology too. Yeah. Right? So, the, the so that's what they're trying to build. Yeah. That's what Chinese mm. the China the China is trying to build. And and we here we have a lead, sort of a market leader, um, who have sort of who have, who have sufficient capability to actually lead this. So that that is something very attractive. Yeah. No, for sure. And BYD is also a big name. So like for people who don't know, but BYD is a is a very big name in, in China. You know, it sells a lot of cars, um, and they are like, they are really good at what they do. So like, it, it's also not just some just random company spinning off their random semiconductor unit. Um, it is one of the giants in the automobile manufacturing business, and there are and there are you know they have a good track record. So, and, and it it just makes sense. Yeah, I mean they 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 are they are working with Huawei to to build a a Kirin chip. Right, yeah. and and if that's successful, that for for automobiles, right? If that's successful, it's gonna be the mm-hmm. first Kirin chip that that's produced in China, that is fully self reliant and and relies on the industrial supply chain completely in China, right? With no external sources. Yeah. So so that's the attraction there, and just just and if if and if anyone is just wondering what's how attractive BYD is. 
um, Warren Buffett actually owns a, is one of the largest investors in BYD, right? And I think he invested like two hundred million in twenty oh eight, twenty oh eight, and now mm-hmm. it's worth five billion. <laughs> the guy went went to Beijing <laughs> to see the Olympics and <laughs> and they're like, let me just put, let me just drop two hundred million into this company that I saw on my way uh, on my way in. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, no BYD, and I mean they had a good track record, and I I you know I was very sort of bullish on them as well, especially when the um, the whole EV craze was going on. You know before people were into Neo and into you know like all these other brands because BYD just seems like it seems like. Um, if Toyota or Volkswagen moved into EV a bit earlier, right? And BYD moved into it, you know, they had, they had, and they're making their own battery. The reason why I'm not as bullish maybe today is because obviously their battery technology might not be as um, advanced or, you know, they have a, a clearer edge compared to Tesla because I don't think anyone does right now. But uh, that being said, as a, as a whole of a company, because they don't just do EVs and they do a lot of uh, other things, I think, you know, they're, they they have a good track record and this is, I think this is going to do really well. And Let, let's, let's hope that's the case. <laughs> I really hope yeah. that's the case. Um, I, I think the founder is, is an amazing person when it comes to uh, manufacturing um, businesses and, and running, running, knowing how to run an industrial business. Um, but yeah. Well, then moving along to news number three, which is your favorite company, Meituan does not have a direct employment relationship with the 10 million food delivery riders. And so this comes back as well to the biggest news, uh, I would say two weeks ago, where a week ago, a week um, ago, where Uh, Uber, two weeks ago for Uber, if you meant Uber, yeah. Yeah, because Uber was the big one, right? Where the court um, has made the decision in the UK, at least, that they should label all of their drivers as employees and no longer as what quote unquote what we call the gig workers, right? Yeah, and and so, it, I mean it's it's quite a controversial topic in in the sense, um, mm-hmm. for for me, Tuan, the the issue is that. In in front in the meeting with the China with the Chinese Ministry of uh, Human Resources and Social Welfare, they admitted and said that they have no direct relationship with their ten million food delivery drivers. And, and let's put it in perspective, That's right? Crazy. 10, ten million. Okay. You, you Uber has seventy thousand drivers in the UK. Meituan yeah. has ten million riders. I mean. Yeah. When you put it's, so, when you put, put it it's like a small country, <laughs> right? You have a small country. Yeah, it is bigger than some countries. <laughs> I have to say, it is bigger yeah. than some countries. So, so ten million riders, and 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 I would have to say this is really China China skill. <laughs> yeah. So, so is that the new word? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where, 10, 10 million foot riders. Imagine putting ten million foot riders in in the US. That's what ten yeah. percent of their workforce, or, or like twenty percent. I don't know, man. Maybe not ten percent. Maybe close to ten percent of their workforce, but that's how massive it is, right? Yeah, and it's and it, I mean, for people who don't know, but I feel like we've talked about this as well in the past. But you know, food delivery has been a big sort of social debate in China because obviously the writers are working really hard, and there is a lot of um, how to say the um the writers' experience. So not the the users' experience, right? I'm talking about the writers' experience. It's also gamified because. So you get uh, you get penalized if someone gives you a bad review. Uh, you have to do it on the very short amount of times to deliver the food, and 
you know, a lot of those been highlighted and then it has been a huge social debate because it's like, well, there's always going to be the people who are like um, free market theory, right? Like, it's like, well, if it's so bad, why do people still do it? But then there's obviously the people who point out that, you know, it's not safe because people are just going to rush. And then, you know, they have been, they have been accident and fatal for some cases, which is very unfortunate, especially when you think, you know, it, it shouldn't be the case. That has, you know, made a lot of controversial news. And then when, you know, there was a lot of talk about the insurance policy, you know, how do you keep your employees safe? And I think it, I think this is also like just uh, the pinnacle of all of this, right? It just comes at the end of all of this and be like, well, we don't have a direct employment relationship exactly. with the 10 million and people who quote unquote work for us. So Yeah, and, and the yeah. thing is that they make it so explicit that these riders are just subcontractors. And you know, yeah. and for those who's not familiar with how, how things work in China, for most employees, they do have some sort of insurance benefit or social security with, with the, you know, you know with, with the company, right? So f- yes, exactly. right? So so uh, for for them for these writers, they are sub they are considered subcontractors. So what Meituan does is essentially they they deduct three three renminbi per day from the writers' commission to pay for their own insurance premium, and the insurance premium only covers up to. Um, I think if I'm not wrong, medical fees there's up to sixty grand, fifty or sixty grand renminbi. That's yeah. about ten thousand, less than ten thousand USD. No, around ten thousand USD. Around around ten thousand USD, right? So yeah. it's 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 not much to be honest. Um, if you if you if some if you actually happen like we said, the riders' experience is gamified. Some riders actually engage in rather dangerous driving, or rather dangerous acts, just to deliver on time. And if they get into yeah. an accident. The, med- the insurance will not be sufficient to cover their medical costs and they'll be out of work yeah. and they have no you know, no social benefits that, that will take care of them. So it, it, I think this is something that is more important, this is very important for the, for the Chinese government that they will pay attention to and like what we see in the West, uh, I, I mean, I do think that they may step in and, you know, request Meituan or, or other dig other other place in the gig economy in China to actually take into the take take the consideration sorry take the welfare of the workers into consideration yeah. and ensure that they are fairly treated like what we have seen in 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 UK when we talk about Uber and the drivers um that's not to say that's yes. always the best form but i mean uh there are plus and minus to that um yeah but if 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 you put it into a US US um a US context whereby you know there's no public health care, um you know it's it's up to your insurance to pay for it. Then in that case, it becomes an issue with the Uber driver delivering food or whoever, uh DoorDash DoorDash delivery person who is who gets in an accident, receive insurance benefits from DoorDash. I I have I I don't know the answer to be honest. Uh, maybe maybe some of the the listeners he actually knows the answer who 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 is more aware in this in this space knows it, but I mean from from a, from a, from 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 the from the perspective of gig economy I think you know we mentioned about Uber's Uber's change to to treating its drivers as their own workers and providing a minimal wage for them. This is a big step forward to me, and I think first of all it's a massive change. In the business model for the company, uh, 
But if you mm. think more from the rider's benefits, having this sort of a more guaranteed wage and more more assured income, it's only upside for them because they yes they can they have they still have to work hard to rush for their commissions to ensure that they can deliver as many as as many orders as possible, but it gives them an insurance whereby they can, you know, start budgeting for their life. They at least know that this is the minimum amount I will earn on a daily basis yeah. or a monthly basis. I can budget my expenses, budget my bills. You can use that minimum yeah. salary to take on a mortgage. You know, it makes the whole living experience and the and the and the gig economy work worker experience a lot more mm-hmm. um enjoyable, I would put it. A lot a le- uh, let's put it this way, not enjoyable, but a lot less stressful. Right? Because you're not living day to day, you're not completely living day to day by, you know, um, because you 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 have to pay your house with all cash because you can't take on the mortgage and this and that. Yeah. And I think I think that's interesting as well because you're you know, when you're describing this, you're also referring to the gig economy, right? And I think the biggest problem that came with all of this is that none of this, well, I mean, obviously the gamification and then, you know, like a lot of those other issues, uh, you know, we won't talk about this, but if you talk about your employment relationship, I think a lot of this is also made in the sense of when Uber was first created or when delivery was first created, maybe a lot of people did this as a gig, right? Some people just did this on the side, but then because it was actually lucrative, you know, for lack of better terms, people did this full time. And so you had this disconnect whereby where you're treating your employees as contractors or like subcontractors and you, you, you know, you're treating this as a sort of gig uh, economy, but it's not anymore in practice. Uh, and I think it, it was just this disconnect that was sort of played at the advantage of like Uber, Deliveroo, Meituan and all of those um, companies that sort of leveraged on this quote-unquote gig economy side of an aspect of their relationship with their well employees really and and i think yeah it's in china it was it was been discussed you know like social debated for for a while but i think if the government actually comes out and actually puts a decision on this it's going to put a huge precedent for all the other companies that sort of also leverage on the gig economy right so not just deliver um meituan drivers for their um you know meal deliveries but also for people who might be delivering packages for other e-commerce things and everything i feel like it's just going to set a big precedent for an economy where e-commerce and online shopping and what just delivery drivers is very present right yeah and no i i think in some case you know working in the gig economy has become something whereby I guess the millennials do enjoy because first of all you do maybe maybe you get a lot more freedom um, you know you can choose when you want to work how you want to work you have flexibility yeah. in your schedule so on and so forth right so there, there is definitely upside and I think a lot more millennials are happy to, to work in work in this kind of jobs instead of yeah. being being stuck in office job right and, and you know that's not the most enjoyable work that, that people love Mm-hmm. So this yeah, is definitely sure. a good step forward for for these companies or for this for the for the for the workers in this case for the employees, but I I, I would like to just bring in a viewpoint into it as you said this is definitely a very big precedent that if the Chinese government steps in or if more government steps into the big economy like what UK has done 
it might change yeah. a lot of things in this what we in, in what we have seen in the past you know five ten years since Uber and Meituan and, and Deliveroo right because it will place mm-hmm. a up lot until, more up until the robots take over but yeah yeah right <laughs> that, that's another topic I'll go into but you know yeah. it, it could impede innovation honestly because you actually essentially threaten the existence of these companies. These companies can survive and have the cost advantage over traditional companies because they are subsidizing the customers by reducing... At, sorry, they are subsidizing customers at the expense... Some, in some way at the expense of the employees, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. and at, sometimes at the expense of themselves as well, right? Yeah, and on that point, it's also like, but then is it good innovation if your business model relies on exploit exploitation? So see, see, then then becomes you need to draw a very fine line between what is what how much responsible how much responsibility should the company take yeah. on? Should the company still go with the old how traditional companies go about oh no, yes, we'll give you social benefits, we'll give you, you know, a fixed fixed minimum wage, we'll give you um, you know, your your pension. Is that what yeah what the gig economy is about and then it, maybe you break complacency it become you know it just become a different form of traditional jobs right is that the outcome that yeah. people want you know and then maybe, maybe in this case you start having unions out of that right so well I mean not that, in the US but yeah <laughs> that's never gonna happen but yeah sorry unions in the US yeah, they get unionized in the US yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. You heard, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. So, so it will happen in the. It might happen in the US. Well, I mean, have you seen how much they're struggling just to get some of the Amazon workers to unionize? And there are probably being like, it's the the work condition like seems horrible when you hear the testimony and everything. And I say testimony as if, uh, yeah. Anyway, the the sort of interviews and everything. Um, you know, no, but yeah, that being said, sorry, that was just a a party. Go back. Go, go, um, yeah, I'll let you finish. But I'm I'm just saying. You know, I think I think it's important to actually keep track of how regulations evolve here, and um, it's not always a good thing. Whereby I think it's important to take care of the benefits of these workers and ensure that it's well balanced and they're not exploited. But it shouldn't be the case whereby these companies should be fully responsible and and really, you know, have to be have to take care of every well being. And, and I'm just drawing the line here that I'm just trying to put it in a way whereby you need to draw a line of what's the company responsibility and what's your own responsibility for, for choosing a job like that yeah I, I, and I, I can see and appreciate you playing devil's advocate here and you know maybe to put into context for something that what you were saying for is that in France for example you've got so many laws and securing jobs and everything that actually people it makes it very hard to for people to hire and therefore it's a it's hard to get a job sometimes because people have, you know, they would make you jump through a lot of internships and they, they really need to make sure that they want you before they hire you because it's so hard to fire you afterward. So there was always this, you know, like um, even before, back before the gig economy was a big debate, it was always this debate b- between, you know, where do we stand in terms of like employment stability compared to, you know, because employment stability is good. But at the same time, it makes com- companies less competitive. And when you're in a globalized, globalized um, sort of environment, you know, if other countries have less sort of, they have more flexibility in the way they can reshuffle and restructure. 
And I think it's a fine line, as you said, because at the same time, yeah, you don't want to make it so hard and you don't want to make it so cumbersome on the companies that they ultimately die out and your country doesn't have any national champions and your company doesn't have any sort of innovation that is happening because of all these laws. But at the same time, I think uh, you might want to think about where, what is the minimum that you at least want to guarantee, right? Yep. And I think, especially in here in the case of Meituan, you, you have this form of... Um, you, you know, this form of like, nothing is set in stone yet, right? And even like the Uber decision at the end of the day, it didn't kill Uber, right? And I actually talked to an Uber driver about this because I wanted to know like, how did that impact them? Were they happy about the decision? And they were like, well, at the end of the day, the money was much less than what everyone expected. And then it's not going to change our lives really. Um, so I think it's good to have um, regulation that makes sense. But it's true, like, we also need to consider, like, the both sides of it and playing devil's advocate to also think about. And I think it's really hard in, um, in today's world because you have so many tech companies that are just exploiting or, like, really pushing the limits, right? Or, like, breaking the rules and then fixing things after. Like, Uber, when they first got invented, when they sort of, like, first came into different countries, you know, it was illegal and it was, like, sort of break things first and we'll talk about it later when we're super rich and successful, right? I don't think that's, you know it's it's really hard because at the same time you're like well okay innovation needs to happen but at what cost and that's what what i was saying earlier right it's sometimes it's really hard to make this distinction because it's hard to know which one is going to turn out for the better uh, and this is why i'm saying um good sort of well thought out regulation is so hard as well because you're always being sort of reactive instead of proactive uh which makes it which makes it hard. Um, yeah. But let's talk about something a bit maybe. No, la- less, last last uh, last thing I talk about this yeah. is that I, I think I think technology has come to a point with whereby if you actually push for this too much, then as I said right from start, business could rethink would, would rethink their business model, right? And that being said, I think a couple of and weeks sure. ago we talked yeah. about yeah. Meituan starting his own self driving delivery vehicle in Beijing and there are a lot more other players who's doing that so we posted a, an awesome video on, on Instagram as well for people who want to check our Instagram account yeah yep, sorry. exactly <laughs> <laughs> so 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 you know if if this this agenda is being pushed too much then I think I think it's inevitable that businesses will have to rethink and think about what they can do to replace their workforce so it, like I said, it has to be a balance, right? Whereby it makes sense for us to, to operate, but keep it, you know, provide an additional solution that will maybe help alleviate the stress from current workforce. Yeah, but I think on that point as well, I think, you know, automated vehicles to replace workforce is just, uh, it's almost inevitable, right? The, um, well, well, well. Not, not all of them can jump, jump across buildings and... So what he's referring right now is the video that we watched about this um, Meituan driver who was living food and, the, and um, the, the apartment that he had to go into was on the first floor. Awesome. And you see the guy like literally like um, jumping from the car park all the way <laughs> up. Yeah, up. doing parkour and then like jumping onto the balcony and everything. Uh, so yeah I mean I, I don't know Boston Dynamics got some great robots that you know might be able to do this so you never know Dexterity is probably one of the most difficult things for, for robots to achieve well for low cost robots especially yeah, we, yeah we're just not there yet uh, 
But but yeah, I think uh, that sort of sums up the um, the third news. I think it's um, it's a big debate. It's a big uh, it's a it's a very big debate, and I think we've seen in recent years that there are a lot of movements when it comes to regulation against tech companies, uh, against you know monopolies, against you know workers' right. Amazon has had a lot of issues as well. Uh, I think you know it's just one of those things that is going to slowly unfold, but. Unfortunately or fortunately, uh, technology, you know, progresses really rapidly. And as I said earlier, regulation is always reactive. Well, sometimes it can be proactive, to be fair. But for a lot of cases, because you don't know what's coming, it can only be reactive. And therefore, it's always really hard to, you know, by the time you finish debating on one topic, then you've already had another issue, which makes um, sort of these things a bit hard to um, to deal with. Um, but yeah, that being said, we'll end here because it's already been a long episode. Um, thanks everyone for listening again. You can find us and I, I will promote these two accounts to the death um, on Twitter and Instagram at Productive Lazy Sundays. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week.